Chris broadcasting from America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. We're bringing you progressive talk and civil dialogue across the political divide. And before I give you a rundown on today's program, I want to take a second to thank some of our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. As Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, you can now order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop. Groovy Goods is about community. It's a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. You can learn more at groovygoods.com or just stop it at the corner of 23rd and University near Drake University in Des Moines. All right, welcome to the program, folks. Again, uh, we've got uh, a broad lineup for you today. Later in the program, Kathy Burns is going to join me. We're going to talk about the Food Security Task Force and how that is a phenomenon taking off, not just in cities like Des Moines, where we live, but elsewhere in the country as well. We'll also be talking about um, a concern that some climate activists are raising, the question of whether or not Joe Biden is selling out to big oil. What's going on there? We'll also talk about uh, solar tax credits. Uh, this example is at the state level here in Iowa. Solar tax credits under fire and getting gutted by the state legislature. We'll also talk about Texas and how Texas has seemed to be going the extra mile to suppress voting. I want to kick off the conversation, though, with uh, welcoming Dr. Charles Goldman to the program. Hello, Charles. How's it going, Ed? Good. I know you're, all, you're always paying close attention to the U.S. Supreme Court, and this may be the most fascinating uh, time in recent, maybe not just recent history, but in our lifetime, for looking at um, how the Supreme Court's rulings might reshape America. Uh, I, you know, I, where to start? Um, we can start with <laughs> Obamacare, voting rights, abortion, guns. You pick it, Charles. There's a lot to look at here. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the, the total abdication of the legislative branch over the last couple of decades has clearly created uh, the Supreme Court as the most important force in terms of uh, much of policy that does get done by the federal government. So, um, and it's sobering and depressing to look at the docket. But let's start with one of my, one of my favorites, which is the uh, case that they're uh, going to um, give us the ruling on within the month uh, concerning the Catholic charities in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. the Philadelphia case, sure. Um, where the uh, Philadelphia city government was contracting out the uh, screening of applicants for adoptions yeah. uh, to a, a Catholic-affiliated charity. Right. And, or a Catholic-affiliated uh, entity. And that entity then turned around and said that they don't feel that they should have to adhere to Philadelphia's anti-discrimination policy because they will not that yeah. correct they because they will not place uh, children with uh, couples that are not in a traditional marriage of male and female uh, human beings. <laughs> I, I love the de traditional <laughs> marriage. Which traditional marriage? I mean, uh, again, and this is coming from a, a, a religion that has celibate uh, priests, but nevertheless, yeah, and doesn't believe in uh, contraception. So let yeah, let's get down to what's going on here. This is this is a perfect example of how. The First Amendment freedom of religion has been completely flipped on its head. It, it actually, it absolutely has. Yeah, it was initially intended to protect. <laughs> protect the practices of religion yeah, yes, by exactly. individuals yeah, right. with, within churches or just on their own. And also to avoid the, um, the establishment of a state religion. Right. How this is even getting to the Supreme Court shows you just how, how turned on its head this is. Yeah. This, this case should have been decided and left at a district court level because it's pretty obvious. They signed a contract, this, this entity signed a contract with the Philadelphia city government that clearly stated that th they have to adhere to the anti-discrimination clause. Yeah. They are voluntarily taking money, millions of dollars, by the way, um, from the government to do this. And to the crux of it, too, you know, I, I mean, the implication that somehow an LGBT couple is incapable of being a good parent they, i mean that that, that there, there's no logic there's no i'm sure you could always find some anecdotal evidence of some bad couple in any in any uh, any demographic you want but i mean some of the 
best parents I know are gay or lesbian couples. Well, yeah. it's, not, it's not a high bar. Because heterosexual couples are not setting a high bar for parenting. <laughs> so, of course, it's ludicrous. You're absolutely right. The sociological research clearly shows that there is essentially, there is no difference. Right. So how is, this, any, how is this, this type of discrimination any different than, say, saying, well, uh, we, uh, we're not going to place, uh, place children in a, a, mixed, a mixed race marriage? Well, that's the problem. Because if, if the court rules that somehow beyond the contract law issue, which should have settled the case before it ever got here, um, that you, there is a right to discriminate against LGBTQ uh, you know, families or individuals, then that right can extend to anything. Sure. Essentially, they don't have the same rights as it, you know, is set up by other anti-discrimination statutes. Right. It's very dangerous. It's let's, very dangerous. Let's look at some of the other stuff before the Supreme Court. Uh, you're a doctor. What about Obamacare coming under fire again? Okay, so this is just a continuation of this nonsense about is the uh, mandate a tax or not a tax? You know, and, and essentially well, this Trump zeroed it out. He zeroed <laughs> it out, and that's been the and and that's been what got this case to the uh, Supreme Court because they said therefore it's not truly a tax. Well, clearly it's a tax. In fact, there's a justice sitting on the court right now, John Roberts, the Chief Justice. Who was the deciding vote the last time this came up? Right. But you, so, got, you got new, 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 new people on that court, which now was and, why uh, they they created sure. this straw man law to get it to the Supreme Court with the Trump realignment of the court. Right. And essentially, this time they're going at it a different way. Well, if the tax mandate is unconstitutional, that makes the entire law unconstitutional, which of course goes against the whole issue of separability of statutes. It's, it's just another straw man case. They're probably going to lose. In fact, the questioning pretty much shows they're probably going to lose this. And it's enough already, you know, yeah. to fighting Obamacare. Okay, so that one might, uh, might go the right way in terms of uh, people who value what Obamacare has been able to accomplish for health care. Uh, what, what about uh, voting rights? I mean, well, voting rights uh, gets into, uh, I guess, our second yeah. segment. But basically, this is uh, two statutes that... Um, Arizona passed, uh, and then the Democratic National Committee brought a case claiming that these statutes, which are against, I think, was it ballot harvesting, um, and it, whether you can throw away the ballots if someone poll, if someone uh, voted at the wrong, precinct, at the wrong yeah. precinct, right? Um, and which is easy to do since they're always changing precinct locations or eliminating and consolidating. Easy to do. Yeah. Know. So this is this is essentially a case where um, the Democratic National Committee is claiming that these these two statutes are inherently unfair because they pre are prejudiced against uh, voters of color. Um, yeah. I, I can't see this Supreme Court going along with the Democratic National Committee. No. Well, I mean, not <laughs> not just that, but I mean the questioning pretty much show that they're probably going to allow these to stand. Yeah. And the question is, is that going to extrapolate to some of the other horrors that we're seeing uh, in various Republican-led states? Yeah, and let's talk more about that in the next segment. I want to look at the, uh, the school speech case, uh, the, the uh, Mahoney Area School District versus um, uh, Brandy Levy, the 14-year-old uh, student in, in central Pennsylvania who did not make the varsity cheerleading team uh, posted a you know kind of nasty little uh, response on Snapchat, and then the school ended up suspending suspending her from the uh, JV team uh, for a year. <laughs> yeah, basically using her online or social media comment to it, take action against her. Um, I, this one, I think that they're just going to give a narrow ruling and basically say that. The school, and I think this one is where the liberal justice probably will go along with them. This could be like one of these seven two or eight ones, or you know, eight one with Clarence Thomas coming up with something he doesn't like about it. Um, I, you know, let's face it, Snapchat is just like Facebook and everything else. They are protected, first of all, in terms of their control of what's on there. She has the right to say whatever she wants in her Snapchat. Unless she was threatening to kill an administrator or the cheerleading coach or somebody else, I don't see why this is even an issue. Right. Uh, you have the right to say what you want. You know, yeah. the school's not controlling the Snapchat. Yeah. I, I, I think that she's going to win, but they're just going to be a narrow ruling on this because right. they don't want to get into the whole issue of what 
So I'm surprised that the over. school district even bothered to bring this case. I, I don't understand it either, yeah. to be perfectly yeah. honest. Anything else the Supreme Court is up to? Oh, of Any course. Any other mischief we want to keep an yeah, eye of on? Of course. Unfortunately, they took another Second Amendment case, you know, the most misinterpreted surprise, surprise. amendment of the Constitution. Uh, you know, and, and, and I know that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was friendly with Anthony Scalia, but, you know, Anthony Scalia wrote one of the most heinous decisions uh, in the Heller case that allowed for the idea that there was actually an individual right to bear arms in the Second Amendment. There is not. Everyone knows it. Scalia knows it. He knew it at the time. Um, it's clearly talking about militias. They were state militias to basically chase slaves in the southern states. The history is there in, the, in, in both Jefferson's letters and the Federalist Papers. Scalia gleamed onto the idea that there were two people being mentioned in the Second Amendment, that the way it was used, the use of the comma in the Second Amendment basically <laughs> right. uh, created two people. He was talking, that he claimed they were talking about both militias and individuals. Why they took this case this is a New York law about concealed carry needing a permit. That law dates back to like 1915. And the last thing I'll say on this is Warren Burger, very conservative Nixon, you know, uh, court right. appointee, uh, you know, Supreme Court justice, chief justice in the 70s wrote that the notion that there's an individual uh, right to bear arms in the Second Amendment is a complete and total fraud. And it's been a fraud up until Scalia yeah. discovered his the language that somehow transmogrified that Second Amendment. Yeah, well, that 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 opinion is so out of step with the uh, modern, uh, the, the modern Republican Party that he, he wouldn't even be allowed in the door. You mean Burgers? <laughs> right. Well, correct. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's a social issue that they use to get their base fired up yeah. while they're busy, you know, fleecing their base in every other way. <laughs> Charles, I got to run to a short break. When we come back, folks, we're going to be talking about the. Uh, the uh, voter restriction legislation in Texas. The Democrats walked out. What happens next? We'll be back to talk about that with Charles Goldman here in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, and thanks to our local nonprofit partners who help make this program possible. Thanks to Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to address the climate crisis and to prevent the abuse of eminent domain to build pipelines. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Again, welcome back to the program. And with me today, Dr. Charles Goldman, uh, we've been looking at the, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court and uh, what they're likely to do on a host of very controversial uh, and historically fascinating issues. And speaking of historically fascinating, uh, the, the effort nationwide to suppress the vote continues. And uh, again, the most, probably the, possibly the most re repressive um, effort in the nation is in Texas. And Democrats down there at the state legislature did something that I, maybe people didn't expect. They walked out. They walked out at a, on a late night session, denying the majority of Republican uh, lawmakers the opportunity to have a quorum in order to pass the voter restriction bill that was on the debate calendar. Charles, um, are Democrats overreacting or is this indeed uh, a pretty heinous uh, proposal in Texas? I, I'm, I'm, it's yes and no. Um, 
they're not overreacting because, you know, Governor Abbott is positioning himself to have to run against somebody who is possibly even more In a primary, to the right. A primary challenge. Well, yes. It, you know, to the right of him, which, which is his lieutenant governor. And so the voting law, along with the uh, heartbeat bill that they passed down in Texas, along with the trigger bill, which is if the Supreme Court, and that's a case we didn't talk about, because that's in the upcoming docket, the arguments, and that's going to be the issue of the 15-week uh, uh, limit that Mississippi passed on, on, on abortion. On abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in Texas, basically, there's a trigger bill out there that was passed and signed by Abbott, in which if the Supreme Court does, in fact, rule that that's going to be uh, allowed, that they'll probably go to try to uh, ban abortion completely in mm-hmm. Texas. So part of this political positioning, um, what they did to, to a great degree was roll back a lot of the things that happened during the COVID that allowed people to feel safe for voting and therefore increased turnout, particularly in areas um, like Houston, which are heavily minority democratic areas. Yep. Well, they're, it's not just minority. Right, it's yep. just that they're democratic. And, and so what they're trying to do is find ways under the uh, complete fraud of claiming that there, there was election fraud, because there wasn't, um, try to find ways to make it harder and harder to uh, vote. Yeah. Some of what they're requiring, it's, it, you know, I, I think the problem we have is that the, the Democratic view and, and, and the way they're presenting this is so over the top that people are really beginning to get a headache from listening to it. Because some of the things, yes, it's true that they are restrictive. Others are not, you know, and it's very hard to argue against that people should have an ID to be able to vote. I mean, what's your argument against that? Well, the uh, Democratic Party is frequently putting out arguments against that. Right, because they and, claim and that people, you know, that people who are older and don't have cars and, sure. you know, but or don't, that's also mean, true or of young, younger the, and don't drive. But it's also true of white rural people. So, first of all, there's no there's no compelling data. In fact, the data is pretty clear, except for maybe the last election, well, I mean, that, that all these methods of, of mail-in voting actually favor Democrats. They seem, in fact, to favor Republicans because it, it, it allows people who are distant from the cities to vote at a higher rate. I can't believe that Republican lawmakers would try to restrict those opportunities if they did not have really solid evidence. They don't. That, well, it, they don't. It, How, it, it what, where, would, where would that evidence come from? Because the only everyone seems to be thinking that every election is about the president. The fact of the matter is that... In a time when the Democrats seemingly had all these advantages, they managed to lose most of their majority in the yeah. House. Not, in and Iowa, they, luckily, lo- they lost seats here. Right. Luckily won in Georgia only because the president involved himself you know, in, well, the, in such a way to not favor Not only it. because of that, because the, the, Georgia had also, has also done a great job yes. at expanding the voter that base. Is, that is true. And it also, it's becoming more Democratic. Yes, Unlike that's, Iowa. that state is. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, is I, I'm not disagreeing that that we are looking at limit restrictions that are unreasonable. But you know something, they're unreasonable because the whole notion of voting in this country is unreasonable. Which is what do you mean by that? You should have you should have to opt out of voting, not opt into voting. Every other okay. advance. How does that look? How that looks is. That you're already on the rolls, okay, and enough. you just do what you're going to do. You show up and vote. Because okay, so back to the voter, and get uh, rid of get rid of. You know, we live in an era of computers. Why do you have to go to the right place to vote? If we're going to use computers, why can't you vote anywhere? They can figure out which ballot well, you're supposed I, I to think, get. I think we ought to be using paper ballots, and maybe you tab- tabulate them by computer. But you got to have a paper trail. Well, no, I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is that if you if you live in the era of computers, we don't seem to use them as computers. We use them as counters. So why not say everybody's everybody's on the rolls. I show up wherever I feel like it, and I'm going to vote. I'm in this district. They they put on the computer screen on your machine which is the appropriate ballot, and all this nonsense of showing up at your your polling okay. place goes away. Right. Fair enough, but what, you know, why, why were you why were you why you why were you insisting earlier that it was good to have a, a voter ID card, a driver's license? Why bother I, with that at all? 
because you do need to prove you are the person you are. Okay. Well, and there there's multiple ways of doing that. If you if if it's for you to get the real ID, right? You know, the star on your on your driver's license, then you you were asked to bring a utility bill, a credit card bill, something that has your picture on it and your name or on it. Or two 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 things that identify you as living at your your yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, exactly. That's that's going on. I mean, no, no, you know, it's enough for this. I mean, you know, the, the Democrats like are the party. This is where like the the party of whiners. If people thought it was important to vote, they would go out and do what they need to do. I'm sick of hearing about how I can't do that, right? No, but you, 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 it's easy to say if you don't if you if you work a job where. Uh, you 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 don't get off till after the polls close in some states. Well, that's totally that's totally different. But the fact of the matter is, is Texas is going to have a longer early voting period than a lot of the blue states do. So you know this is this is kind of why people just don't listen to the Democrats, which well, is I that mean, they're so they're so hyperbolic. Is at there times. any is there any bigger whiner than Donald Trump in the Republican Party? No, I'm not supports him. Talk about whining. I mean, I, but this is this is where the Democrats are whining. The Democrats, I, we understand what's going on here. Of course, the Republicans are trying to rig the game. Because what's more dangerous is is not the stuff they're whining about. What's more dangerous is in some of these bills, it allows the legislature to override local public officials who are supposed to be running the election. That's far more dangerous. That's well, the issue that should go the, to court. The, the most the most dangerous thing here, and some of this has gone to court, is gerrymandering. Of all the voter suppression tactics out there, I mean, Texas, great example. There are, arguably, there are a majority of people in Texas who oppose most of what Texas is doing, and you would think the legislature should be fairly balanced, but no, because of gerrymandering and these ridiculous districts that are intentionally designed to, you know, put as many Democrats in one place as possible, so you have other districts that are not competitive for Democrats. You've got a legislature that does not represent the public, the, the, the balance of uh, a perspective among the public. So what's your point? My point is that that should be horribly illegal. There's no reason that should happen anywhere, and no one does it worse, or if, you're, if you like gerrymandering, better than Texas. Right. No, I understand that, but I don't get your point. I mean, so what, what do you point, mean by making is, it illegal? The point, the point is all these things that are happening, about voter, all the voter restriction bills— um, we can argue about the details of those till the cows mm-hmm. come home, uh, and uh, you know you can make some. You make yeah okay. So you make a maybe you make a good point about voter ID cards. But um, the bottom line is until we get rid of gerrymandering, um, that stuff is is secondary. Gerrymandering is always going to quote win in terms of um, in terms well, of no, shifting. I, I, uh, I, I agree with you. It, it creates an unrepresentative. Uh, state legislature, and then it creates an unrepresentative House of Representatives. We know that. For yeah. instance, in North Carolina, Democrats win about a little over 50% of the vote and only have one-third of the representation in the House of Representatives. That's ludicrous, and that's all over the country. The problem is— Not everywhere. I would— uh, I Well, no, that's about, true. Uh, that's right. There, Iowa uses contiguous, are, a basically right. large contiguous district. And there are other that's states correct. that are looking at implementing a more balanced— uh, you know, geographic-based well, approach. Weirdly so. I mean, you know, they've done this in some Republican states where they've had referendums and people have asked for it, and basically the, the state legislature just overrode it. Yeah. You know, uh, if I'm trying to remember correctly, was it Florida? Maybe it was Florida. I, I, you know, it was just one of the states I was surprised about. You know, and th- they just ignored it and basically went back to what they were doing. If more people would just look at the legislative maps in some of these states, the congressional district maps, you, you, you look at those maps and you just know something is wrong. There's no way anything well, should be shaped like that, except maybe an amoeba. No, of course. And I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm saying is, you make saying make it illegal. This is why the the court decision to basically say that that part of the Voting Rights Act didn't have to be, uh, you know, continued because things have changed, um, is sad. But the, you know, ultimately, the only way gerrymandering goes away is going to be that Democrats find a way to win. Or, in the states and take over the same state legislatures that are doing the redistricting. And you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean that they're going to have to be less dogmatic about social issues to people who are just not going to listen to them yeah. if they continue to talk about wokeness. Hey, we've got to take a short break. Uh, Charles Goldman with me, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host. When we come back, we're going to look at uh, solar energy and specifically what happened in one state regarding the solar, solar energy tax credits that have become so important at moving our country beyond fossil fuels. Back in a minute on the forum.
Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. from America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to the local businesses that make this program possible, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or calling Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. Thanks also to Western Optometry, where your comfort and vision is the staff's primary concern, Western staff is fluent in both English and Spanish. The clinic is uh, in Des Moines East Village. It's open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, Dr. Charles Goldman with me here, folks, today. Can't seem to get rid of this guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, Charles pays a lot of attention to the national scene, and uh, I think you've been paying some attention to the Iowa scene as well, which again is reflective of what's going on around the country. We see uh, renewable energy under attack on many levels. In the next segment, we're going to be talking about uh, Joe Biden and his commitment on climate. But first, what's going on here in Iowa regarding solar energy? I mean, there is a federal tax credit that helps people install and pay for systems. There is a state tax credit that matches that. They're, in most cases, they've been connected. But uh, the state legislature just ditched the whole thing, abandoned the tax credits. Uh, well, abandoned the tax credits for individuals is my understanding. Right, right, for yeah. homeowners, yeah. Right. So they're now because, you know, here's the interesting thing. There are large industrial hog confinements that the, the owners, you, some of them are farmers, some of them are just big corporations, have learned that you can take, uh, you, you, you can take those rooftops, face them south, and... Uh, and, and, and do a great job at fueling the energy needs of that confinement with solar energy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course, they're not going to attack that. As we, some places have a sacred cow, we have a sacred hog, even right. though more and more of our hogs are being shipped to China. And well, that's right. China has, is actually one of the, the, is the number one uh, pork ingester, ingester. <laughs> in the world. <laughs> okay. We're, well, no, we're, and it, it, it's interesting because, and, and, and this is a good example of that we are part of a worldwide economy. One reason why food in the United States has gone up in price is not just the pandemic issues, but a huge amount of, of feed is going to China to feed the hogs. Well, and the hogs themselves are going to China. Right. And, but again, the, the yeah. hog industry was left, you're right, they, they, they weren't affected by this bill. It was the homeowners, mm-hmm. and it was mid-American energy, and, and I mean, yeah, there are other interests as well, but the big utility company, you know, they learned, the big utility companies learn how to control wind. They haven't learned how to control solar, and so they are attacking it. And this is one way to. Well, they're holding it. big reflectors up. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That works really well. Yeah. So there, are, there are, there are, and for this, does, this may not seem like a big number to you, but there are 750, 750 Iowa homeowners who are going to lose an average of thirty-two hundred bucks because of the state lawmakers failed to extend the tax credit. So, uh, you know, the argument is really funny. They, they say that, well, you know, we, we have too many tax credits and we need to, uh, we need to let industries that are mature uh, stand on their own. Well, you could argue that 
Solar energy is not yet a, quote, mature industry. You could also argue, why are all these big businesses that are just, I mean, why is Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, Nationwide, Wells Fargo, why do these companies get tax breaks? They're, they're plenty mature. Right, and, and, and I think that that's, that's the real point here, which is that um, there, most mature industries in the United States get tax credits. And tax credits— Oil and gas companies. Especially oil and gas. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the, this is the problem, which is American taxpayers don't—they only hear about when someone gets something directed to them, i.e. the indigent person of color who gets welfare, right? Because it's a payment, right? They don't see their own tax deduction for mortgage interest as basically money that I'm paying and you're paying for somebody else to have a bigger house, <laughs> You know, they don't see their own taking as as anything um, like being on welfare. They don't see the fact that their employer pays for their uh, health insurance, and then that money is con- your premium is considered pre-tax mm-hmm. and is not taxed. That actually is the number one, uh, you know, amount of money that's transferred back to the American taxpayer. So it, this is part of the problem. You're absolutely right. What do we? Why are Amazon and and Facebook and all these companies that are opening up in states? Why do they get tax credits? They get tax credits because what? They create jobs. Well, well uh, you know, as you point out, how many jobs are created by the solar industry? Oh, it's a huge number in Iowa. And yeah. it's, uh, let's see, there. Are, um, one trade organization says that there are, there are 900 solar related jobs in Iowa. That's just that's two years ago. There were 900 right. jobs. Uh, and and, that, and actually, up. nationwide, there are more people in the solar industry than by sure. a factor of oh, yeah. four than are in mining coal. And that number is up from 350. Yeah. In 2015, there were 300, 350 solar jobs in Iowa. Now it's 900. Right. So the point is, is that the tax credit is to induce people to engage in putting, up, you know, using solar energy, and also to support the jobs and and. Compared to what they're giving to the Amazon, you know, if you look at how much Amazon's getting for this, their warehouses and you know, yeah. and, and and Microsoft for their their data centers, it's coming out to like three hundred thousand dollars a job. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. ludicrous. No, I, I've seen some state handouts that amount to even way more than that. Yeah, which is it's ridiculous. But you know, we we have eighty five companies here in Iowa that are uh, part of the whole solar energy industry. 85 companies. And, you know, I, I think they are growing in power, but the problem is you've got a utility corporation, Mid-American in particular, and a couple others. They're investor-owned. They're basically monopolies, and they wield tremendous clout, and they don't want the competition that solar is providing. Well, that's correct. And actually, it's it's been worse than other states. Now, would you think that Florida would be, like, our number one producer of solar the, energy? The uh, Sunshine State? Yes. Yeah, maybe. Not even close. Like, it's it's, a, it's it's like five six more ranks behind New Jersey. New Jersey New is Jersey like number is, two in the United States. Who's number one? Uh, California. Okay. So surprise, surprise. Right. So the 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 problem is that in other states they've done things like in Florida. What they do is they make it so prohibitively expensive to um, put solar on your house, and by doing this, what they basically allow the the uh, the provider of the electric grid, you know, essentially the the electric utilities there, is that they can charge you all these surcharges right, right. for when you when, when you use their lines because, you know, if you're making more solar than you right. need, you, you put it into yeah. their you put right, it into right. their system. And and of course it's ludicrous because the surplus electricity made by decentralized solar actually improves the profitability of those utilities. Right? Because right? they don't have to maintain a generating capacity, but they see the writing on the wall. They're eventually going to lose business. Correct, yeah. and it, lose but control. It, it, right. it shows you again. This is more crony capitalism, right? Even in there, you a go again, reg- quoting Mitt Romney, right? Even in a even in a in a a regulated industry, you you've got the situation where, in spite of the economics showing that solar actually saves them money. They're able to penalize those who use solar because they don't want energy production decentralized. Yeah. Now. I would argue, Ed, that the problem is going to be that if we go all electric on cars, ultimately, and that's going to take decades, 
you're going to have to have more centralized generation because you're not going to be able to use solar to really effectively charge your car. It takes a, a lot of time at the the, the voltage well, why, why, that you why, can generate because you, you can't generate well, the wait, wait, high voltage from a solar system. Why do you think cars should be or will be the uh, central component of a transportation system uh, of the future? Uh, they're going to be the central component of the transportation system for the next number of decades that matter. No, they shouldn't. All right, we're not going to talk about railroads no, and electric no. airplanes. Well, let's but. talk about reality. Look at this. <laughs> uh, t- nearly 20% of the uh, young professionals living in the greater downtown Des Moines area don't have a car. Right. And, it, well, the only problem is is that the pandemic has driven people out of the centers. That's why housing is so expensive. People are moving to the suburbs and the exurbs because they don't want to live in apartments in cities anymore and be isolated in their apartment for a year. No, I don't think that. I think that, I think that was a very temporary thing. It's not a temporary isolated. thing. People are buying houses without even looking at them and without inspections. People are moving out of the cities. It's going to take many years to get people back in the cities. The point no, is— I, I don't agree with that. Well, I, just, I, I think— you're, people are not going to leave houses they're just overpaid for. Well, um, and my point is the cities are not going to turn they're into... They're ditching their COVID pets. Well, <laughs> that's a lot easier than ditching a house you paid $100,000 extra for. Well. All I'm saying is, is that the transition to electric energy is going to allow both things to coexist. A decentralized system for generation at your house with a more centralized system for high voltage generation to allow you to charge okay. your car. But, but it's going to have to, whether it's cars or light rail or, or, or electric buses, it's going to have to happen a lot faster than decades from now, Charles. I mean, the science is pretty clear. We're going to talk about this in the next segment, too. We've got to move a lot faster. And uh, the only and you have to move a lot faster, which means you have to figure out how you're going to generate that much electricity. Well, back to what we're doing here, what we're talking about. The, you know, the, the 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 legislature here in Iowa and in other states is basically uh, thinking uh, they, they 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 got their Neanderthal caps on. Uh, if they think that uh, we can somehow find our fight our way out of this climate crisis by by abandoning the solar tax credits that have worked so well, I mean. You well, know, I, don't really disagree, I don't disagree with you. I just, I, I think that the utilities themselves, first of all, a lot of the utilities are moving into the realms of renewable. Secondly, the utilities themselves will do fine. It, it, they're not looking forward, understanding that these systems are going to have to coexist yeah. to make that change. A decentralized system on the top of your house, as well as a centralized system for mass usage to, to, to you know, power other things. And for those of you who love crypto out there, <laughs> you're going to need like five nuclear power plants. I'm not saying nuclear is the way to go for, for the amount of energy that wastes. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd much rather just... Uh, make, I'd rather get rid of crypto. I'd, I'd, I'd like to, <laughs> to I, I want to make eggs and heads of garlic my, my currency units. <laughs> That's the way to go. That's the way to go. All right, hey, i got to take a short break, folks. Uh, Ed Fallon with you here. Dr. Charles Goldman, my guest today. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk about uh, President Biden and whether or not he's doing the right thing on climate or whether, as some are concerned, he might be selling us out to big oil. Back in a minute on the forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Uh, thanks to our local business partners, including Architecture by Synthesis. That's where Mark Clipsham has been offering planning, design, and design-build services for a heck of a long time. He does high-performance, low-maintenance homes and other buildings. Mark specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. 
That's architecture by synthesis. All right, welcome back to the program again with me, Dr. Charles Goldman. And um, Charles, I want to talk about uh, concerns that some environmentalists have raised, but not very, not very loudly, about Joe Biden, uh, his initial response to um, the climate crisis as president, uh, rolling it all out. I mean, getting back under the Paris Accord, um, convening a summit, uh, launching a, an infrastructure bill to address a bunch of things, but with climate being a high priority, but now and the whole thing canceling Keystone, the Keystone Pipeline. But now, a lot of things are raising people's concerns, um, and uh, there seems to be a conflict here. And folks are wondering, well, is this really going to be the climate president that science says we need? Um, I, I, I think the biggest problem here is that they don't have enough of a majority the Democrats to just go blithely the way they might want to go. And and specifically, um, the concessions here were made to several Republican representatives, particularly from Alaska, yeah, yeah. to try to get Deb Haaland uh, approved as Interior Secretary, which was obviously a historic moment. Um, and I think it was more political considerations. So... In, instead of trying again to rule by executive order, which will just be reversed by whoever the next president is, if, unless it's Joe Biden or another Democrat, how about we just make these projects not worth the money? How and so? Because if, if you make the price of extraction of oil um, high and you make alternatives lower priced, then there's no reason to extract but Charles, this. It becomes a strand saying. it becomes a stranded asset. Why don't you work through the market and basically destroy the oil oh, industry? Are you saying we shouldn't uh, provide them all the subsidies and incentives we've been doing? Exactly. Oh. That's that's <laughs> that's that's the way to destroy the oil and gas industry. It is basically, basically take to it make off, them, take it off welfare. Make them pri- exactly take it make, off corporate welfare. make them price their product at what it should be priced. It therefore would make things like tar sands, which was the oil that goes was going to go into the Keystone, untenable, economically untenable. Well, not if, not if Canada continues to subsidize it. Well, we can't control Canada, but right. you know the point is is that it, if you make it, if you make the price of renewable energy low enough then nothing Canada can do. And, and you know, of course, the joke of Keystone was... So, okay, let me just say one thing about Keystone, okay? Because right. we never talk about this. Why are we, you know... I, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I read what is supposedly an op-ed in the Des Moines paper on Sunday by... Um, I'm blanking on his name, but he used to be Bush. He was on the staff for Bush and Reagan. He wrote some book uh, like uh, Republican Crackhead because he was an <laughs> FBI... Uh, in the, you know, uh, okay. undercover. But anyway, so he's talking about how Keystone was about American oil independence. Keystone was never about American oil independence. No. It was the fact that they couldn't, that the Canadian government couldn't force the two provinces between right. Alberta and the Pacific Ocean to allow the pipeline to go across First Nations. They're still pushing for that. Right, right. but it's yeah. never going to happen. So they figured, okay, well, well, we'll shove it across the stupid Americans. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so this is my, this is my argument. My argument would be, Stop with trying to force political, you know, solutions to this problem and basically fight to make everything priced the way it should be priced. Yeah. Gasoline at the pump. But I mean, that, people are whining because the gas went from $2 to $3. That, that gas should be $10. Well, okay, but that's, that's, that's what, you're, what you're saying. That, that's, that's a good idea. But that may be a harder political push than just canceling the I, I totally, I totally did in Alaska. No, I totally disagree. It's just well, the opposite. Because all you have to do is change tax law. You don't, and, okay. and tax and regulation. You, and, people, you, and you think you think Biden can get enough uh, Democratic senators to go along with that? You can change that reg- without having to legislate it. Those things can also be changed simply through the regulatory you process. Can't, you can't get rid of all the subsidies for oil and gas without congressional action. Or, or, you would or need some. Congr- you would need some congressional action. But the point would be: Do you really think that the person who's sitting out in rural South Dakota, well, maybe that's a poor choice because they they're, they're big on fracking there, but you know, in a place where there's not much fracking going on, gives a damn about oil and gas depletion? 
No. <laughs> I mean, but 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 we're not we're not talking we're we're talking about states that um, that have a lot of power for one reason or another. West Virginia, where coal is important, where you've got it's because a of who represents will, them. That's correct. Yeah, and you've got and again Alaska. I mean, what, one thing that really bothers me about this whole situation is uh, Deb Haaland. I mean, we we met her on the climate march. Mm-hmm. The, the the interaction we had with with her tribe was uh, was. They were they were they were incredible allies, um, and now to see her basically saying, "Okay, we're going to be okay with this project," you know, that's um that's disturbing. That's I, disturbing. You know, a lot of these <clears throat> projects are never going to happen. All right, if this was such a great deal, this to, one's probably going to happen. I don't it, see what's going to stop it. Why Why is it going <clears throat> to happen? They just tried to sell the leases in Anwar, and nobody bought them. Basically, a bunch of states bought them up for twenty five dollars an acre. Right. The ga- oil and gas companies, the large ones, were totally uninterested because they don't think that these assets are worth enough to do this. And I don't know why Conoco is thinking this project is because I think the, the auction that the Trump administration, you know, tried didn't net much money because no one seems particularly interested. And it wasn't like they were waiting for a Biden administration where they get a better price. <laughs> you know, so right. I, I, I just I, I think. The idea of ruling by fiat only works if you have a dictatorship. And if there's any dictatorship in this country that's likely, it's not going to be a liberal one. It's going to be a right-wing conservative one. You mean like under, say, Donald Trump in 2024? A, a smarter version of Donald <clears throat> Trump. Yeah. Speaking of Donald Trump, 2024, uh, I, I, was, um, I get called for interviews once in a while. Um, I was called by uh, uh, Sputnik. <laughs> I, I think I, maybe I had the name wrong, but it was a Russian publication. Most of the message was in Russian. But the, uh, the, the, the question for me was kindly in English, and uh, they wanted to know what I thought about Trump's upcoming speech. Mm-hmm. And I basically said, you know, we're going to hear the same thing we've always heard. He's going to. Well, he never disappoints. Oh, he's going to be very self aggrandizing, and it's going to be meaningless and full of lies, and the base is going to love it. But what they really wanted to know is, is he going to announce his campaign for president? No, he's not going to announce it now. He's going to, he's going to, he's crafty enough to know how to bait, you know, bait, uh, bait the media, bring people along. But yeah, I think this is a sign that Trump is back in the public limelight, even though, even though nobody was reading his blog. <laughs> well, I know it's really well. <laughs> but again, they responded the way a politician would respond to an unread, you know, a poorly read blog. Took it down. You know, mm-hmm. he'll find other ways of making the news. I mean, I mean, the speech in North Carolina was one way of making the news, even though, again, what he said was nothing new. It doesn't have to be new to be news anymore, right? Right. So, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, I, here's the, you know, about this Willow project, the, 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 the ConocoPhillips project in, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. That was a Trump initiative, you know, and here's Biden going along with it. And I understand, I understand the politics. Promises made to Alaskan lawmakers, you're you're very narrow margin in the Senate, but um, I hope the environmental community will push him on this because he's he's not keeping his word on the overall perspective that we have on climate. I mean, he's not he's not keeping his word on the Dakota Access Pipeline. I mean, that was that was pretty emphatic. That you know you've got you've got to uh, you you've got to keep your word. On. You said you would shut it down. You're not doing it, and so. You know, I hope the environmental community keeps him, um, you know, well, keeps his I, feet I, to the fire I, on this. I agree with that. I mean, you're a politician, Ed. You know, I'm a recovering I mean, politician. I, and, and I think both sides are forgetting that politics is about distribution of, of limited resources. And politics, even, even the politicians like FDR and LBJ, for instance, that were able to push through huge social programs that were, were totally you know, different from where it seemingly we were going. Um, particularly LBJ, he understood compromise. He understood bargaining, you know, yeah. and you sometimes and he, have to he, give he, up. This He also understood public pressure. Yeah, but all I'm saying is this one project isn't going to change the fate of the world. But well, perhaps having a whole bunch of other projects, it will. It is. It's already changing the fate of the I, world. You just can't win everything. No, but you, you can have win. to. What you, what's more important here? Is it more important to allow the Willow Project, which will become economically unfeasible in a short period of time, Maybe. to go forward? Or do you want to do, do you want to figure out how to get Joe Manchin and <clears throat> Kristen Cinema to go along, get rid of the filibuster, and push through a infrastructure yeah, or revampment the, that or, needs to happen. Or here. the Willow Project might open up the door for a whole bunch of other horrible stuff happening in, in Alaska. Who knows? 
Uh, it very well could go that way. But you know, here, here's the bottom line. The International Energy Agency um, uh, just uh, uh, warned governments this past week that if they, quote, really want to reach net zero emissions by 2050 and avoid the worst consequences of climate change, investment in new fossil fuel projects must stop so who, now. <laughs> who wants to listen to those bunch of you know well, those, those bunch of you know world socialists? Well, uh, <laughs> socialists. Know. How about the scientists? You know, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. But, this is all you know, part of the desire for you. Know, I understand the politics of this, but the science science trumps politics, and you know. Biden ought to be listening to science on this. And I, he's not. I, it's not that he's not listening to science. He's trying to figure out how to get through a much larger project, a much bigger change, rather than fighting over an individual project that's not going to change the fate of the world. Yeah. Well, I just think you can't. It, this is. It, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. How how comfortable if someone were going to be elected from Iowa as a senator, if somehow the Democrats could figure out how to win that. But they weren't somebody who said, I think we should never change Roe v. Wade. I think we should have no regulation on abortion. Uh, or they came and said, I'm uncomfortable. I mean, Biden's kind of an example of this. No, he says, I'm uncomfortable with abortion, which is true of a lot of people who feel it should still be allowed, you know, and legalized. He says, but I don't feel like I should be, you know, part of anybody telling other people what to do in this. Well, we segued from climate change to abortion. Well, no, That's no, no. my sign that no, it's time no. to... Okay. Got to go to a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do got to go to a break, Charles. Yeah. Sorry. Um, hey, folks, we've been talking to Dr. Charles Goldman today, uh, a uh, all-too-frequent guest on this program. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about the uh, Food Security Task Force that's um, active here in the city of Des Moines. And as we note, there's plenty of good stuff happening around the country to um, begin to identify how communities can secure their own food futures in a world that's becoming, you know, increasingly uh, unstable. Back in a minute here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, thanks for joining us on today's program. And uh, thanks to the local businesses and nonprofits who help make this program possible, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. You can now order groceries curbside, and they'll deliver them to you in your car or your bike or if you're walking. Hey, but uh, also uh, thanks to uh, thanks to their uh, cafe, which I love. They're open for breakfast, lunch, and supper seven days a week. They've also got a floral service and a catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. So I'd like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Uh, we are both part of something in Des Moines called the Food Security Task Force. And I'm excited to see the progress being made. Uh, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks. We're about halfway through our six-month initial uh, task period for the Food Security Task Force. And that means that we're close to having a website available for people to view with some really good information. I'm proud of the work, too, that we've done. And uh, there are five other task force members that are with us. Yeah, this is a creature that the city council unanimously supported with the understanding that, uh, that food security is not just a problem for minority communities, uh, poorer communities, uh, certain disadvantaged demographics. Uh, it has been a problem for those communities for a long time, but increasingly it's a problem for all of us as climate change begins to show its uglier face all the time. And uh, so the idea is that, well, what do we do to create a local uh, food, uh, you know, connections that, that allow us to you know, to sustain ourselves. Right. Learn from each other. I want to mention the other people on the task force. The the um, representative from the city of Des Moines that's managing it is Jeremy Karen, and he's a, a, a really knowledgeable on sustainability issues. 
And the other task force members are Eddie Robinson. He's a master gardener, and he has extensive experience in community gardens currently with the Drake Community Garden. Uh, we've got Rachel Luce. She has done a lot of uh, food production in her own spaces in community gardens. She's done some for sale at markets. Including ducks. And she's got ducks. And <laughs> the pictures are so cute. Uh, Suman Hawk is the owner of Hawk Restaurant in the East Village in Des Moines. And he sources about 90% of the food that he served, serves is sourced locally. And um, he does a great job with that. Uh, Sheila Canopla Odele is also in the Sustainability Task Force in Des Moines, and she is a food production person too. And Ryan Francois is um, owns Rally Cat Properties, and in addition to reclaiming spaces uh, for that professionally, he is really good at reclaiming spaces for food production and just um, looking great. It's really good to see that uh, this realization of the need for local food security is gaining traction all over the country. There's a really encouraging initiative in, in Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, we've, had, we've had guests on this program from uh, Wyoming uh, talking about the, uh, the, the planting and maintenance of a food forest, an ed edible food forest. I know that there's one, of, one happening in, in the Quad Cities uh, mm -hmm. on the Mississippi River between Iowa and Illinois as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think this idea is one that is starting to get more traction as it should because, you know, we're, we're getting to crunch time on, on climate. There's still, yeah. still some people who don't see that or don't accept that, but every indication from science is that uh, we need to be thinking more, uh, more uh, realistically about, um, about these problems, and we need to be planning for how we're going to sustain our food, water, energy, other basic systems in a changing climate? The first six months task of the task force is to focus on food production. That might be in a community garden, in your own yard. It might be in a space that a neighbor lets you use. It might be in pots on your balcony, whatever space you have. And that's just the first six months of focus. And then we're keeping a list of, of uh, what other people have brought to us as concerns and projects to continue to grow this concept of food security in Des Moines for the future. The four focus areas right now are growing fruits and vegetables, just the basic process of how to do that, um, livestock, how to raise chickens, <laughs> ducks, goats, what have you, uh, in, bees. in the city, bees <laughs> in the city, uh, how to, how to um, source and uh, use tools, supplies, and other resources like water access. And then soil and land access is a big part of it because yeah. not everybody has a space. Well, and, you know, not every piece of land is, uh, is, is suitable for growing food. I mean, Iowa is known for its great soil, but here in the city, uh, you know, you've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of things have happened to the land here over the years, and uh, some of it's not too pretty. Uh, as we discover in our own uh, urban farming efforts, mm -hmm. uh, you can turn up um, a lot of junk out there, cinder, um, gravel, uh, shards of glass. Uh, my favorite was an 1890 dime. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> that was okay. But, um, you know, and then, then how do you get that soil back to the point where it's productive? I remember the very first time I did an, had an urban garden in, in Des Moines, it was 1987, 88 actually, 87. And I planted um, potatoes on what was basically clay. Didn't know any better. Uh, and I got some foliage and a total of zero potatoes out of a fairly sizable area. I zero guess you potatoes. learned your lesson, didn't you? Sure did, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, you know, in, in Ireland where I learned how to grow potatoes, you just, they, you know, there was plenty of rocks in the soil there. But what I didn't realize was there was also nutrients in that soil. And you have to recreate that. And if you're in an urban environment where the soil has been depleted. Yeah. So. Well, the things to watch for um, when the website does come out, and we'll provide links to that when it's available, and it's, it's going to be, I think, in the next few weeks, um, are uh, links to like the, all the city codes pertaining to what you can grow, where you can grow it, how tall plants can be. Um, you know how to how to make sure that you're not uh, interfering with your neighbor's space. So all the city codes pertaining to growing food, and uh, helpful resources, learning opportunities, 
what what chance do you have to to gain new skills like how not to lose a whole potato crop <laughs> in a in a bed of clay and um, um, also for, just some other helpful thanks links. for rubbing that in Kathy <laughs> <laughs> helpful links and so it's so it's it's going to be like a one-stop shop uh, yeah. instead of People who have questions, having to search for all of that, we'll put as many resources as we can in one searchable place. One thing I've noticed too, and this may be true of other parts of the country, you've got uh, you've got some some of these Facebook and Facebook has its problems for sure, but there are some Facebook groups that are really really helpful. There's an Iowa Vegetable Growers page. There's a Des Moines Backyard Gardeners page. A Des Moines Backyard Bee- Beekeepers beekeeper. page. You know, and those um those have been really good at, at connecting people with questions and for those who have answers. And in some cases, those who have supplies and things that they they need to either purchase or get rid of. Mm-hmm. So more of that. And you know, I think the task force where it goes from here is going to be interesting to see because uh, one thing that it could do would be to focus on on City plantings, uh, plantings, oh, yeah. not just urban forests, but for example, Des Moines has planted a whole mess of strawberries down at City Hall, and they're free to the taking. FYI. And yeah, they're they're really good, <laughs> they're and, and they're they're planting more Juneberries, so things that's encouraging. Also, speaking of the city, uh, the city can also be more responsive to the needs of people growing food, and one of our tasks is also to look through the codes and. Uh, see what changes or improvements could be made to make it more feasible. Well, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Folks have been talking with Kathy Burns about the Des Moines Food Security Task Force. Uh, thanks to our business partners, uh, Gateway Market, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrum Optometry, and Groovy Goods. If you'd like to be a sponsor of this program, give me a shout. Thanks also to our guests, Charles Goldman and Kathy Burns. And thanks to our production team of Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. Stick with us, folks. Next week, we'll be back with more great talk for you on the Fallon Forum.